Grace and peace to you all, and welcome to the Calvary Road with Pastor Sam Allen. And to worship the created being instead of the creator of all things is called in scripture idolatry. And it's the worst of sins against our Lord to worship the things he's made. Now, not everyone worships people. Some people worship stuff, you know, possessions, others power, others position, but all of those are mere idols. Today we begin the final chapter in the book of Mark, chapter 16. Now this begins a two-part study Pastor Sam has entitled, Our Living Hope. And the study will be looking at this chapter in its entirety, and it considers the resurrection of our Lord, his appearances to his disciples, his final instructions for us, and his ascension. So let's jump in. Mark 16, Our Living Hope. We live in a culture that worships its heroes, athletes, actors, artists, authors. But the true heroes in our culture aren't athletes and actors and artists or authors. They're the first responders, the firefighters, the law enforcement, our medical, our military, our missionaries. None of those serve to be thought heroes, and most, if not all, would be horrified to hear that people were exalting them, lifting them up, worshiping them. And in our culture, people worship their heroes. Of course, there's only one worthy of our worship. That's the true and living God. And to worship the created being instead of the creator of all things is called in scripture idolatry. And it's the worst of sins against our Lord to worship the things he's made. Now, not everyone worships people. Some people worship stuff, you know, possessions, others power, others position, but all of those are mere idols and none of those can ever meet your real needs satisfy you or make you more useful to others. So we need to get on the same page as far as we're here to worship the true and living God. We're worshiping one who will always be living because he was born miraculously. He lived sinlessly. He died vicariously. He rose victoriously. He ascended back to the Father where he is seated right now at the right hand of the Father making intercession for us. Well, this message, of course, it's all about the resurrection. God's timing couldn't be better. It always turns out to be that way. Two weeks ago, uh, we took a short break from our study of uh, Mark's gospel and uh, as we did, we, we looked at the Christmas service. Why? It was Christmas. And, and so we looked at the birth of our Lord and Savior Jesus. Last week, we got back into Mark. It just happened that we were at the death of our Lord and Savior Jesus. Today, it's the resurrection of our Lord and Savior Jesus. And if you're new to all this, you need to know this. His birth, his death, his resurrection, those three are the three most important events in all of human history. Nothing comes close. And if you remove any one of those, we would still be dead 
and trespasses and sin. And those of you who've yet to come to Christ would be forever lost to him. Well, the resurrection then, more than a Bible doctrine, though it is a Bible doctrine, it is part of the gospel. Jesus died for our sins according to the scripture. He was buried and he rose again the third day according to the scripture. Job believed it. He found great comfort in it. Many of you have lost a lot and lost a lot recently. But Job was able, after losing his assets, after losing his health, after losing his family, in fact, he lost everything and everyone he cared for except his Lord and his wife and his life. The Lord spared him his life. And in the midst of all of that, he poses the question, if a man dies, will he live again? I think he's actually hoping at that point for death. And he's just thinking, well, you know, if I die, then what's going to happen after? A little later in Job, that's Job 14 and Job 19, Job declares having a revelation from heaven because it's the only way to get from if or what or what could be to what is. He says, I know my Redeemer lives. And, and, and actually he says, oh, that my words were written, that they were inscribed in a book, that they were engraved upon a rock with an iron pen and lead forever, for I know my Redeemer lives. And he shall stand at last upon the earth. And after my skin is destroyed, this I know, that in my flesh I shall see God, whom I shall see for myself, and my eyes shall behold and not another, and how my heart yearns within me. If today you're wondering what's going to happen after death, it's very simple. It's appointed unto every man, and that would be every man and every woman, to die once and then the judgment. Every one of us will stand before God and we'll hear one of two things, guaranteed. Enter in, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of the Lord, prepared for you before the foundation of the world. Or depart from me into everlasting fire, created not for people, but for Satan and the others who rebelled against God. People end up in hell, not because God doesn't want them in heaven, but because they refuse to acknowledge him. Because the light has come into the world, but they love darkness more than light. Neither would they come to the light, lest their deeds be exposed as evil. Make sure that doesn't describe you. Heaven is real. Hell is real, and you get to make a choice where you will spend eternity. Now, if you're in Christ Jesus, it's no longer about securing yourself. It's about becoming a living witness to others. Why? Because whatever happens between here and heaven, you are going to end up in heaven. So it's not, well, I need to be better or work harder or do more. It's just, Lord, what do you want me to do? He's not looking for you to do something. He's looking for you to do his thing. And he knows exactly what he saved you for and equipped you for and gifted you to accomplish. Well, all of that brings us to uh, this awesome chapter, Mark 16. It is a chapter of first. Jesus first to rise in a glorified body. That's a big deal. And here's why. Because these bodies aren't fit for eternity. In fact, if you're my age or near it, 
They're not even fit for life here. They just start breaking down and wearing out and, and they become a burden. And I think God lets that happen so that we'll let go and say, okay, Lord, what do you want me to do? Time has to be short. At least I'm starting to sometimes think like Job. Uh, you know, time must be short, isn't it, Lord? <laughs> Nevertheless, we're going to get a glorified body. He is the prototype. And, uh, and we know that Jesus had raised others from the dead. He raised Jairus's little 12-year-old daughter, but she had just died. And then he raised the widow of Nain's son, but, but he was just on his way to burial. And then he raised Lazarus, his dear friend, brother of Mary and Martha, and he raised him after he'd been dead and buried for four days. But here's the point. They were all raised in their natural bodies. They didn't experience the kind of resurrection he had. Yes, they were alive again from the dead, but they would still get sick. They would still feel pain. They would still suffer. They would still die. And, and when we get the body, he's promised us, either through resurrection or rapture, we will never suffer again. We will never sorrow again. In fact, listen, Revelation 21.4 says, There will be no more death, no sorrow, no crying, nor pain, for the former things have passed away. That brings us to chapter 16, verse 1. When the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James and Salome, brought spices that they might come and anoint him. Very early in the morning, on the first day of the week, they came to the tomb when the sun had risen, and they said among themselves, who will roll away the stone from the door of the tomb for us? And when they looked up, they saw that the stone had been rolled away, for it was very large. Entering the tomb, they saw a young man clothed in a long white robe, sitting on the right side, and they were alarmed. And he said to them, do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He is risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. But go tell his disciples and Peter that he is going before you into Galilee. There you will see him as he said to you. So they went out quickly and fled from the tomb, for they trembled and were amazed and said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid." Here in our chapter of first, the last mentioned in the last chapter, chapter 15, verse 47, was Mary and Mary. Now they're first to the tomb here in chapter 16. It's early the first day of the week, the Sabbath having passed. Now, I heard a rumor a while back that somebody changed the Sabbath. Let me suggest to you that when God set apart, sanctified the seventh day, the Sabbath, no one can alter that. Someone can say, well, these guys did it or we've decided to do it. You can't change what God has done. You can say there's eight days in a week. The Beatles sang about it. And, and uh, you could say, well, there's 20 days in a week, but that won't change it. The week is seven days and the seventh day is the Sabbath. This is the first day of the week. Why is that significant? Because some people camp on the seventh day, they, and, and not to pick on them, but they call themselves seventh-day Christians. I'd like to suggest a better thing to be would be a seven-day Christian, one that lives the same, 
the first, second, third, fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh, and on the first day of the week continues to live the same. First, second, third, fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh. We're to be the same each and every day. This is in our spiritual day where we come in and act spiritual and talk spiritual and then, well, tomorrow we'll be back at work acting who, like we really are. If that describes you, people who know you will think you're a hypocrite. And guess what? They'll be right. You don't want that, you know? You don't want to be living one way today and another way tomorrow. And so I bring it up only to say, not, not to slight our brethren that, that, that believe that, that Saturday is the most important day, just to say every day is important if you're walking with, growing in, becoming like, and serving our Lord. So these two they gather themselves. They come to uh, anoint Jesus' body. They fully expect him to be there. They're concerned, though, about this great stone. And it's an issue. I think we have a, a picture of it. You can't really tell. It would be good if we put someone in the picture. But when we're there, because we'll be there next week uh, or, or right after, and uh, we'll try to get some pictures standing by that stone so you get a little bit of perspective. But it's massive. If, if you could, to give you a little perspective, it looks like the wheels on the Flintstones cars. So um, anyway, that's, you know, it's massive stone. And they're like, how are we going to move that stone? Or who's going to help us move that stone? They didn't have to worry about it because the stone had already been rolled away. Not to let Jesus out because he passed through the, the, the wrapping that, that they had placed around him. The, the, the head, head part that was over him still sitting in its folds, if you read the other gospel accounts. So the stone wasn't moved so he could get out. The stone was moved so they could get in. And so as they come in, check this out. They will be the first to hear the good news. The angel is the first to testify. They hear first because they were the first to come. The angel shares the meat of the gospel. Jesus was crucified and risen, just as he said. The heart of the gospel is added by the apostle Paul later, where he says he was crucified for our sins. Why do I call that the heart? Because when it comes to us, that's really the issue, is it not? He didn't just die on a cross, buried and risen again. He died for our sins, or we would have perished in them. So they come concerned. The angel speaks to them. Now they're a little bit freaked out, but, but he's like, hey, relax. Everything's going to be okay. And then there's this other issue. And it says that, that when he said, see the place where he lay, somehow the obvious understanding of that escapes brilliant people. It's almost always really smart people that come up with really dumb ideas. And, and this is one of them. It's called the, the wrong tomb theory. I'm not going to go through all of them, and many of you are aware of them already, but the idea is when he said, he's not here, see the place where he lay, he had come out of the tomb where he is speaking to them, by the way, and, and then pointed down the road and said, see, see the place where he lay. He's not here. He's over there. And, and the absurdity, absurdity of this couldn't be more clear. 
They were last to leave when he had been placed in the tomb. They knew exactly where they were going when they came to the tomb. They brought precious spices to anoint, they thought, his dead body to lavish their love upon the one they'd lost. And in the midst of that, they're not going to come to the wrong tomb. And if it were true, which it's definitely not, then they go and they tell Peter and John and they have a foot race. Uh, it's its own story, but they come to the tomb and they go to the wrong tomb too. Then they tell the others and they go to the wrong tomb too. It, it, when I can't remember... Uh, when I first heard it, but I know it was my pastor, Chuck Smith, who said it, that um, liars, uh, you know, sure can figure. Figures don't lie, but liars sure can figure. And, and this is one of those situations. There's always a way to make up something, but it's much easier to just accept the ordinary uh, meaning of these terms. So he says to them, the great news, he's not here, he is risen, just as he said. Verses 7 and 8, we read, go tell his disciples and Peter, his disciples, broken, devastated, hiding, weeping. We'll read about it in a moment. But Peter had had a really bad week. They were all suffering, but Peter, I think, suffered the most because he had denied the scriptures were true. When Jesus said, thus is it it is written, uh, the shepherd will be smitten and the sheep will be scattered. Peter said, that does not apply to me. And so he's saying, the word's not, not right in this case. You're not right in this case, Lord. He, he, he rebukes the Lord for telling him what he's about to do. And then Jesus says, well, you're going to deny me three times before that rooster crows. And of course he did because Jesus, if you're new to all this, Jesus is always right. I may get something wrong, and you're supposed to be searching the scriptures daily. Receive the word with readiness of mind and search the scriptures daily to see if these things are so. That just means you don't have to take my word for it. It's all coming out of here, and if it's not here, I'll tell you. But if I tell you it is here, then you're supposed to go take a look. Make sure. So when someone says, well, why do you believe that? It's not, well, Pastor Sam says so. And they're like, who's he? No one cares. But if you say the Bible says so, now their, their, their issue is not with some pastor they don't know, but with the living word of God giving by the living God. So go tell his disciples and Peter, who forsook him, who denied him, then went out and wept bitterly. Listen, he's going before you to Galilee. There you will see him just as he said. Now, Peter denies Jesus in Jerusalem, but Jesus says, tell the guys I'll meet him up in Galilee. Why? That's where it all started for them, you see. That's where, where Peter and Andrew and James and John were fishing. They were fishermen. And Jesus calls them, follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. So, so he says, let's go back to square one. Let's go back to the place where it all started. And he calls them to the very same mission. He's restored Peter privately, but he restores him publicly. And he does it around some fish. And, and it's an awesome story in and of itself. We'll get to it when we get to John's gospel. You don't have to wait for that. I encourage you to read all four accounts. 
They're not lengthy, but they fill in a lot of blanks and enrich the story beyond anything you can imagine if you've yet to read all four. Well, why is this a big deal to us? Because Jesus says, I'm going up there. I'll meet them up there. Tell them to come. I'm going before. Tell them to come to Galilee and there we'll meet up. It's important to me. It's important to you. Because he also tells them that when they were grieving there uh, prior to his arrest and death, prior to his burial and resurrection, uh, they were grieving because he told them what was going to be happening. They were devastated. And he goes on to say, listen, in my father's house, many mansions, if it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go, I'll come again and receive you to myself that where I am, you may be also. That's a big deal, and here's why. If he says, I'll meet you in Galilee, he's going to be there. And if he says, I'll meet you in the air, and that's where we will see him. When the trumpet sounds and the dead in Christ rise first, we who are alive and remain will be caught up together with them, but more importantly, with him, with him. And thus we will forever be with our Lord. Again, Jesus always keeps his promises. Verse 9 said, when he rose early on the first day of the week, he appeared first to Mary Magdalene, out of whom he had cast seven demons. She went and told those who'd been with him as they mourned and wept. And when they heard that he was alive and had been seen by her, they did not believe. I want to say this is the most common response among those he spoke to personally. He taught for three and a half years. He had told them about six months earlier, we're going up to Jerusalem. I'll be handed over. I'll be crucified, but I'll rise again the third day. And every time he talked about his death, he talked about his resurrection. He talked about the cross. He talked about rising from the dead. And they would start to say, what do you think he means by all that? Turns out he meant it literally. And for whatever reason, they didn't see it. Now it's all happened just as he said it would. And they still have trouble believing. Why do I share this with you? Because we pray for people we love. And strangers, and we share the gospel with them, and they're like, I just don't believe it. And we're like, What's wrong with you? We don't say that, do we? <laughs> Some of us do, apparently. But we're like, Come on, you know, can't you see? But you're talking to someone who's spiritually blind. Can't you hear? But they don't yet hear because their ears are still stopped up. It's, and, and then we have these crazy things we think it's not that they. They can't believe it's that they won't believe. I read about you. My pastor talked about you. You love the darkness more than the light. How do you know? Maybe they're just hearing it for the first time and it sounds odd to them. If the disciples struggle to believe, we should expect people who don't yet know him to struggle as well. They knew him. They'd seen the miracles. They'd participated in the ministry. So if you're sharing and it's not working, just relax a little bit. It's his work. We plant the seed, we water it, but he brings the harvest. The one who plants is nothing, Paul says. The one who waters is nothing, but the one who brings the harvest, he's everything in this process. So 
If you can relax, just make sure you're planting the seed. Just make sure you're watering it with prayer and, and loving those people. And then watch God do his work. I'd like to look at how the Apostle Paul commented on the resurrected Jesus in 1 Corinthians 15, 20. He said, but now Christ is risen from the dead and has become the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. Well, first fruits, being an agricultural term, simply says that when we first see plums on our plum tree, the first fruits, for example, it's a promise of plums to come, a promise of the coming harvest. Jesus' resurrection, likewise, is the promise of our resurrection. Now this deals with the whole enchilada, and what I mean by that is Jesus' resurrection not only gives us the promise that he will resurrect us, but it also shows that he is capable of doing so. He foretold us that he would rise from the dead, and him doing so means that we can count on his word being true. And truly it tells us that death is not the end. We have life and life eternal in Jesus Christ. The Calvary Road is a ministry of Calvary Chapel Chico, and you can visit our website, ccchico.com, or download the CC Chico app to contact us and listen to other studies from Pastor Sam. You can also listen to The Calvary Road as a daily podcast by visiting thecalvaryroad.com. We'd love to hear from you. And until next time, may you find grace and peace as your journey takes you down the Calvary Road. And your grace.